book of Acts chapter 2. Some of you notice that I bring my Bible, but I often read out of my tablets because the font's bigger. Um, Age problems. Acts chapter 2. So, David's been taking us through the first two chapters of the book of Acts. We've looked at the author, who is, who's the author? Anybody? Luke, right? What other book did Luke write? (laughs) This is not a trick question, right? But it's one of those few that the answer isn't Jesus, right? So you... Uh, So Luke wrote uh, both the Gospel of Luke and also the Book of Acts. We didn't talk about the date that it's possibly written in, the date range. Anybody have an idea? How many of you have studied the Book of Acts and have an idea of when it might be? Just give me a date. Between 60 and 70, I'll give you that. Uh, Scholars are not quite sure the exact year. Some of them pin them around 62 to 64 or whatever, but it's usually considered after 60 and before 70. And there's some major events that take place there, including an imprisonment for Paul and also the destruction of the temple. So those events kind of sandwich somewhere in between where the book of Acts is written. So very good to you. Um, You get the fast track to membership if you got that answer. Um, We also looked at the, uh, the apostles and on them waiting on the Holy Spirit. We sang some songs about waiting this morning. And how many of you like waiting? (laughs) We're in trouble, aren't we? So I'm going to be praying for patience for all of you. (laughs) Waiting on the Holy Spirit, which was a very important concept for the church. If you think back through the history of Israel, there are several instances, such as Saul, who were told to wait and didn't wait and took actions into their own hands, and it ended badly for them. So it was kind of a test, I think, for them to be there and to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And they passed that test, which is really great. Um, And the arrival of the Holy Spirit, and David kind of took us through yet last week about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what the, the Jews, when they heard this statement of, the Holy Spirit is going to come, what that might have meant to them, because it would mean a lot different to them than it would to us. And looking at how the Spirit had moved throughout the whole uh, Torah um, and the the Tanakh, the law, the prophets, and the writings, and how the Spirit had moved through all of that. So then we get to this book of Acts, and it's called the book of Acts. Acts are actions. They're deeds that are done. Um, It's not like the acts in a play. It's not like it's act one, scene one. It's not that kind of act. It's the actions or the activities Um, that this is talking about. And it's an interesting title, um, the book of Acts. Your version might say something different. Does anybody have a different title for this book? The Acts of the Apostles, right? That's a title that's very common for this. So it's the activities of, or the actions of the apostles, which (laughs) Acts makes sense as Americans because we abbreviate everything right? If we can find a way to shorten something, we do. So it's not the acts of the apostle, we just call it acts. Make it really simple. Now, David last week gave us another alternative, right? We have, let me just make sure I've got this up here for you. You have the acts of the apostles. David gave us another possible title that we could call it last week. Anybody know what that was? The acts of the Holy Spirit. Because what it's really about is the work of the Holy Spirit through the people throughout the entire book. And David showed us how through all the, throughout Luke's gospel, the emphasis was on the Holy Spirit. And he comes into the beginning of the book of Acts, and you have the work of the Holy Spirit, and the, the fact that from this point on, all of the things that they do are going to be under the power and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Something that's brand new to have the Spirit of God dwelling in men. 
So it's a really cool thing. There's many threads you can chase through any book of the Bible. And I call them threads because they all weave together like a tapestry. And so you, you're not, it's not that you're excluding everything else, just you're focusing on one part of that tapestry when you look at a thread. So you could call the Acts of the Apostles, because surely there were activities that the Apostles did. You could call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because obviously there were things that the Holy Spirit was doing. You could also call it the Acts of Jesus. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on uh, the Book of Acts for Everyone, calls it the Acts of Jesus Part 2, because Part 1 was the Gospel of Luke. So the activities of Jesus, he commands his disciples, and his work continues through his disciples, through his apostles, going forward. So maybe we should combine all of these and come up with our own title, and we'll call it The Activity of Jesus Through the Apostles Empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure some of you military have already thought of the acronym, right? You've already figured it out, put it in your Bibles there, right? The acronym. But even that probably would not be totally complete, would it? It's not just about the 12 apostles to the Jews. And we see the ministry of the 12 apostles to the Jews, especially through a bunch of sermons given by one of the apostles. Which, which apostle? To the Jews. Peter, right. But, you're, but the second half of the book, starting in around chapter 14 and going forward, is then the work of the apostle to the Gentiles, which is the apostle Paul. So we have the work of the apostles to the Jews, and we have the work of the apostles to the Gentiles, and the book is kind of roughly broken out that way, but it's not just about these apostles. When we read the book of Acts, we're reading about the entire church doing the things that were required under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So maybe, maybe, since it's bigger than just the apostles, we should change the title again. And maybe it should be the activity of Jesus through the apostles and the church empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because that's an even bigger acronym. All right, we could do this all day long and we can just keep building it out, right? And you're going to get tired of it very quickly, I know. But this is still not an adequate title. And of all the New Testament books, this is the only one that has a unique title like this. When you get to the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote a letter to an individual. And so it's the letter to Timothy or the first letter to Timothy and the second letter to Timothy. Or he wrote to a church, to the letter, a letter to the church at Colossae, or to the church at Ephesus. And so it's, it's a letter to, and so that's your title, is introducing where the letter was going to. You have the Gospels that are talking about the life of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, but this book is unique in that the title is about activity that takes place. It's about what's going on. And it does record a lot of activity. It records the activity of Jesus. It records the activity of the apostles. It records the activity of the Holy Spirit. It records the activity of the church. But what is all of this activity for? Have you ever been really, really busy and not sure why? Have you ever come to the end of your week having no free time and wonder, what was the point? Can anybody empathize with that? Because I know that happens in my life sometimes. So this is a whole book, 28 chapters of activity, but for what purpose? What does it accomplish? Like, why does it happen and why is it important enough that it got recorded? Because activity without purpose is honestly just a waste of energy, isn't it? Activity without purpose is just a waste of energy. I think Luke tells us a little bit about the purpose. And so I want us to backtrack a little bit and look at the purpose here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. I'm going to put it on the screen, but Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. 
And I'll be reading from the, the Christian Standard Bible, CSB. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, and after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. When Jesus was on earth, his message was, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the miracles that he did and the activities that he did and the words that he shared were about the kingdom of God and the ushering in of the kingdom of God. And after his, after his resurrection and before his ascension, he spent 40 days on earth meeting with his disciples, talking to them about what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. This is the introduction of the book, and it's a reminder that the activity of this book is about the kingdom of God. The speeches that Peter gives are about the kingdom of God. The speeches that Paul gives are about the kingdom of God. The conversion of Paul is about the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom story. The way the church interacts with each other, even when they argue and fight and aren't sure about what to do, is about the kingdom of God and the living out of the kingdom of God. It's focused on kingdom living. And at the end of our chapter two, many people are added to this kingdom of God. Not only does Luke start this book reminding us that it's about the kingdom of God, but just to show you the way that we talk about the way the authors work, he starts out with the kingdom of God. When you get to the end of chapter, of, of the last chapter of Acts, now don't look, what's the last chapter? Chapter 28, good job, good job. Acts chapter 28, you get to the last two verses of Acts chapter 28. Verses 30 and 31, we read about Paul, and he says this, Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming what? The kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The message of the kingdom of God continued. And what Luke wants us to understand is that all of Jesus' ministry, from the Gospel of Luke through the book of Acts, all of what takes place, these actions in the book of Acts, are about building up the kingdom of God. It's about kingdom living. It's about living out what they were taught, and what they've experienced, and what they've been given. And all the messiness that comes with that. Any of you um, ever feel like it's a little messy sometimes being part of a family? Yeah, well, careful, because some of you came with the head. <laughs> My daughter-in-law is pointing at me. There you go, right? So, you know, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family, right? You're kind of stuck with them. Sometimes families are messy. When you take a church family that's full of people with all different backgrounds and all different personalities and all different experiences and all different likes and dislikes, and you put them all together and you say, you're going to be known to the world by the way you love each other. You have just created the biggest challenge in all of mankind, apart from salvation, which Jesus took care of for us. Living with one another in a kingdom way is a huge challenge. And this book is going to help us understand a little bit more about what that means. So as we consider the title of this book, it's about the kingdom, but it's also about this other thing. So maybe one more revision to the title. Maybe it's the activity of Jesus in building God's kingdom through the apostles and church empowered by the Holy Spirit. I think that would be nice as a title. Or you could just call it Acts. 
But I'm afraid that Acts sometimes just doesn't carry all the, the weight of it. So why does this matter? Why does this matter? I think we often read about what God does in his word, especially in a book like the book of Acts. And we're amazed at the way that God worked then in that circumstance through those people. But we're so far removed from it that we don't understand that what's being taught and what's being experienced then is also applicable to us today. It's not just about the apostles and what happened 2,000 years ago with them. It's not just about the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's not about the initial expansion of the church and the opposition and the persecution that they faced. It's about the church. And the church is not a building. The church is what? Yeah, it's us. So this is a book about our history. It's the beginning of the church age, which hasn't ended yet and won't end until the return of Christ. This is about the beginning of our time in history, in our work today, to teach us about who God is and how he works and what he's, what he's saved us for and the work that he has for us and what he can do through a group of people who are willing to follow his leadership. The same spirit that empowered the early church empowers us today. The same saving grace that drew 3,000 people to come to Jesus in the first day of preaching is still available today. The church today has the same mission as the church did back then, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to share Jesus with people. And the church today might even face some of the same opposition and same persecutions as the church did back then. We have the same mission, the same spirit, the same savior, which means that this book of activity is also about the actions that you and I, as the church, can and should be doing even today. We could even say that the book of Acts is really a demonstration. It's a demonstration about how the ordinary people of God, equipped with the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, and dedicated to the son of God, can accomplish the mission of God. And that's true for every generation. Ordinary people of God, equipped with the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, dedicated to the son of God, can accomplish the mission of God. This message um, is a message that was presented even in the law and the prophets, but it was really not totally understood and experienced until Pentecost, that that time that we've been talking about after, after um, the Spirit was given. So I want to dive into chapter 2 now this morning, and I want you to see how this is a book about us. This is a book about the church. This is a book about God using ordinary people like you and me to accomplish his mission through the power of his Spirit. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Let's read this together. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own language? 
Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said they are drunk on new wine. All right, let's go back to those first four verses. When they were all together, you're going to notice some phrases here. They were all together. The whole house was filled. The tongues rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So who is this all? Was this just the twelve apostles? Was this just the 11 plus the new one that they just voted in? I shouldn't say voted in. They didn't actually vote, did they? Had, they cast lots. That's right. So is this just the 12? Or is it referring back to the first chapter in verse 15 where Luke mentions there's about 120 people, men and women included, in this upper room? Well, it says that they were all together. It's a good reason to believe it was the 120. It also says that what filled, filled the entire house, which would include everybody in the household, not just those that were in that one upper room. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And while we might want to look at chapter 2 and focus on Peter, because, I mean, let's just face it, he's, he's like the boss, right? He's a goat. And here's Peter. We want to focus on his sermon. But Luke wants us to understand that there's some other stuff happening here aside from the sermon. Luke wants us to see that all of the disciples were in that upper room, and he made sure that he mentioned it wasn't just the 12, that it was the 12 plus at least one more that they voted on, right? Because they had two that they were, that they were choosing, right? And, and one of them didn't make it. So there's at least 13 up there. But then he also mentioned Mary and Jesus' brothers and some others, about 120 people hanging out in this house. You want to talk about close quarters. Have you ever thought, I could never have a Bible study in my home, we can't fit anybody? Yeah, you probably could. I'm sure they had a rough time of it here too, right? All of these people in this house were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in different tongues. The Spirit empowerment empowered the entire gathering to speak in other languages. And that is, by the way, what this is talking about in this section on tongues. It's talking about specific known languages. The language of the, of the verses is very clear. The different tongues different languages. We hear them in our own native language. And then there's a list of all the places that they came from because they were speaking in those languages. And then the question was, wait a minute, these guys are Galileans. They shouldn't know all these languages. So in this case, in Acts chapter 2, when this gift of tongues happens, it's a special empowerment of the Spirit for the disciples, for the church, to speak in other languages they've never studied, to be able to declare the magnificence of God to people that from all over the world, all these different nations had gathered together in Jerusalem. Read the, the chapter. It's so clear that this is not talking about some special divine language of tongues that Paul refers to perhaps later on in Corinthians. This is talking about specific known languages of their day. And the Spirit of God allowed them to speak in these known languages. The amazing thing is that ordinary people, Galileans, who had never studied languages, were able to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Man, do I wish that was a gift I had today. 
right? I remember going to Columbia to meet Valeria's parents and family, and I don't speak Spanish and they don't speak English. The most hysterical thing was me trying to make arepas, which are a little, little uh, wonderful little tidbit to eat, made from corn. And I was in the kitchen with Araceli, her mom, trying to make arepas, and she's trying to tell me in Spanish what to do. So I have Google Translate out. And she's speaking into my phone and I'm reading it and kind of figuring out whatever Google Translate comes up. And I'm trying to, it was ridiculously funny. But we couldn't speak to each other. I'm like, God, this would be a great time, God, if I could just have the gift of tongues. Could, I, could you just give me Spanish now, please? That would just be wonderful. He didn't. Um, but at, this, at that point in time, he did. So that, so that they could declare the magnificent acts of God, the work of Jesus and the kingdom of God. So again, we see all of these people, the 120 that were there, were given the Spirit and were speaking in languages that they had not learned to declare the Word of God, the, the wonders of God, the work of Jesus Christ to all the people that had come into Jerusalem from all over the world. In other words, God was using ordinary people equipped with the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, dedicated to the Son of God to accomplish the mission of God. It was ordinary people that God chose to take the message of Jesus to all the nations right there in Jerusalem. You realize that missionary work happens not just in other countries. Sometimes the other countries come to you. And that's something we also have here in our own country, isn't it? So many of our cities are full of the other countries, the nations coming to us. Great place to be missionaries to the rest of the world. Sometimes we need to go as well. When Peter explained what was going on, he quoted Joel, the prophet Joel, chapter 2. And he said that the only explanation of what's going on here was not that they were drunk with new wine. So a little side note there, if you ever hear somebody say that when Jesus turned water to wine, it was new wine, apparently you can still get drunk on new wine, so it was alcoholic. Just want to throw that out there. Um, they're not drunk on new wine. They said the only explanation for this is that the Spirit of God is working through the people of God. The Spirit of God working through the people of God. So I want us to go look at Joel chapter 2. I'm going to read more. I'm going to read a little bit more than what we're going to have on the screen. I'm going to put up 28 and 29. But Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, I want to read for you. This might be a little bit harder for you to find in your Bibles. We don't often turn to the, to the book of Joel. If you have an app, it's really easy. It's Joel, and you're there. Um, so Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And Peter's quote, by the way, is, is really spot on. There's a couple words that are a little bit different, um, and often that happens between you know, your Hebrew and your Greek. Because Joel would have been written in Hebrew, and, uh, and the, uh, gospel, uh, the, the book of Acts would have been written in Greek. So Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 28. And after this I will pour out my spirit on all humanity, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy your old men will have dreams, your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. I will display wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, for there will be an escape for those on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, as the Lord promised. Among the survivors, the Lord calls. Peter says that on the day of Pentecost, what they were experiencing was the work of the Holy Spirit being poured out on all humanity, is the way that 
Joel says it, or on all people is the way that Peter says it. What you're experiencing is God's Spirit being poured out on all people, not just the 12, all people. In the Hebrew, it's all flesh, all humans. Peter then goes on to qualify the different people groups through Joel's prophecy. Your sons and your daughters, so not just the adults, but even the children. Your old men and your young men. So now we have children, adults, and even elders. Old people. You know, God can use old people. I've heard people say, you know, well, it's past my time. I put in my time and there's nothing left. No, as long as you've got breath, God has work for you to do. It may not be as vigorous as it used to be, trust me, but it's still work to do. There's always a way to advance God's kingdom as long as we're on this earth. And then he goes on to say, and listen, not even social class is going to matter because I'm going to pour out my spirit not just on children and adults and elders. I'm also going to pour it out on your male and female servants. So those that are free, those that are, that are slaves. Those that are male, those that are female. Children, adults, elders. It doesn't matter the social status. It doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter the gender. God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. And they will do what? They will prophesy. Don't you all start standing up and prophesying right now, okay? Because I'll have to deal with that one at a time. We'll have to go through that. We'll have to know what, what it means and how it builds up the body. They're all going to prophesy. Well, what is the purpose of prophecy? The Apostle Paul actually talks about this in 1 Corinthians, as far as it relates to the church, to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since, there, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening and encouragement and consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. The one who prophesies builds up the church the kingdom, the kingdom of God. So all people, children, adults, elders, men, women, slave, free, will speak about God's word and build up the church, and that is exactly what's happening in the book of Acts, isn't it? It's exactly what's happening, starting in chapter 2 and continuing all the way through from Pentecost onward. The kingdom was being built up by the people of God whom God's Spirit empowered, and not just the twelve, but all of them, because it was God using the ordinary, ordinary people equipped with His Word and empowered by His Spirit and dedicated to His Son to accomplish His mission. As we progress through chapter 2, we get past the day of Pentecost and all the, the flames and the, the tongues and the noise and the crowds, and we get to Peter's sermon, right? Peter has many sermons. And David mentioned that this is a historical book. Acts is a historical book, but it's not written like a typical historical book. If you looked at the works of Josephus, who was a historian in that day, it's, it's dates and times and events very specifically laid out. Luke does not give us specific dates, other than, in this case, Pentecost. But he avoids specific dates. Other historians also do not give you stories. They give you facts. Luke is giving us, I think, 11 sermons by Peter alone. And then he goes on to all the different sermons from Paul. So it's not quite a typical history. It's a story about the activity of God among his people in the world. 
So we get through the sermon. Um, Peter preaches about the Messiah, um, the man that once denied Jesus three times in front of a slave girl, a woman, and a small crowd he never met, um, now is explaining Jesus and the fulfillment of the kingdom of God to a crowd, a huge crowd. Because I, I'm pretty sure that not everybody who heard this message believed it. We know that to be true. And yet at the end of this message, how many people came to faith in Jesus? 3,000. So I don't know what the size of this crowd was. How many of you like speaking in front of crowds? That would be terrifying, wouldn't it? 5,000 people and you're like standing up there trying to explain what just happened and it just happened to you. But the Spirit of God gave Peter the words to share and the strength to share. He explained how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Word of God and the kingdom of God was a new rea- this, this new reality of the kingdom of God that was ushered in through the sacrifice of Jesus. And we get to the end, um, and he says, and by the way, the Jesus who ushered this in, you, you killed him. It wasn't a popular message. He didn't just stand up and go, you know, you might want to consider this. He's like, no, let me tell you, God was doing a really cool thing, and you put the Son of God to death. What are you going to do about it? And some of them we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as the many as the Lord our God will call. So the message was to repent and be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Who will receive the Holy Spirit? You and your children, if those children believe also. And those who are far off, a lot of controversy on what that means. Um, the most logical context of it is even those that were living in the diaspora, the, the spreading out of all the Jews, those that lived far away that came to Jerusalem, even they would receive the Holy Spirit, even though they weren't in Jerusalem. And the Spirit would go with them because God was localized prior to this, in their mind and in their activity. God lived in the temple. But you would receive the Spirit of God, even if you were far away, you would have the Spirit of God with you. The message of it coming to the Gentiles, that group that's far away, that's going to come later. This is the message to the Jews at this time. So all of these people groups would receive the Holy Spirit as a result of salvation. But for what purpose? For what? Why? Why is that so important? So they can live kingdom lives and tell others about Jesus. That was the point. They came from all over the place to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, just like they did when they came for the Passover not too many days before that. They heard the message of Jesus in their own language so that they could accept Jesus as Messiah, receive forgiveness in the Holy Spirit, and then do what? Take it back with them, right? Take it back to their hometown. Take it back to, their other, to the rest of their family. Take it back to their neighbors. The first group of missionaries that God chose to use was actually not the apostles as far as those being sent out. It was the crowds of ordinary people who responded to the good news of Jesus Christ and received the Spirit. Is the first group that God is going to send back out to the world. When Paul's on his missionary journeys, he's going to come across places that have already believed in the Messiah. Well, yeah, because there's been missionaries out there already that God's been using. 
um, to share about the good news of Jesus. We'll never know the impact of all of these people. We hear the stories of Peter. We hear the stories of Paul. We read the New Testament books of all the things that Paul did. Over 3,000 people came to saving grace that day. And then each day, more and more were added. And they went back to their hometowns. And we will never know the impact that God had in those communities through those people. I think that's pretty cool. One of the things I love about being at North Country Fellowship Church is you never know what God can do with the time that we have together. Because some of you will be here for two years, three years, one year, five years, and then God's going to take you somewhere else. And his kingdom is going to keep growing and building and doing things. And I'll never know the impact. And I think that that's important. Because I have a feeling I would become very proud of what God did through me. But because I can't know, I can remain humble and recognize that God is going to use every one of us to accomplish his work in this world if we're willing to humble ourselves before his spirit and follow his direction and his leading. And we'll never know all the outcome of it. And that's okay. It's actually a gift, I think, for some of us that we don't know. Again, God using ordinary people equipped with the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, dedicated to the son of God to accomplish the mission of God. So we wrap up chapter two and we read that they were all gathered together and they had all things in common. They shared what they had with each other. The way the entire group of people lived had a huge impact. So we get into the practical, the practical application of what does it mean to be a part of this kingdom? How's it going to look now? You got all these people. How are we going to relate to each other? What's going to happen? And we get to the end of chapter 2, and we read this about them. Now all the believers were together and had held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed to the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. When all of God's people commit to kingdom living, empowered by the Spirit of God, lives are changed. It's contagious. People want that. I think one of the most detrimental things to the modern church is how spread out and busy we are. The fact that we don't have the opportunity to be around each other long enough to annoy each other. Because that's what families do, right? The fact that we don't, know, we don't know what everybody's needs are because we're not around them because we're too busy with our own agendas. It's hard to meet people's needs if you don't know what their needs are. Even when you hear their needs, you kind of don't want to hear it because I can't add one more thing to my schedule and if I know the need, I'm going to feel obligated to meet the need and I don't have time to meet that need. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Right? But let me tell you, it's the way that this group lived together that was attractive to the masses around them to where people were willing to be shunned by their synagogue, to be shunned by their families for believing in the Messiah because what was visible to them in the way these people lived was far more significant than what they had experienced in their religion prior. When you and I are willing to join God and his mission in his power for his kingdom, it will drive us to activity that focuses on loving him and loving others in such a way that we share our lives and our Savior with the people we come in contact with. 
This story of Acts is about God using ordinary people like you and me who've accepted Jesus and are willing to follow God, who were empowered by the Spirit of God to focus on one thing, and that's how to live as kingdom people. How to share the love that we've been given and the grace we've been given with each other and with those outside the walls, not just inside, but outside the walls. Such an important thing. Now, the apostles, yeah, it's the Acts of the Apostles. The apostles had special gifting. They were to perform miracles to demonstrate the power of Jesus. Uh, they, they were still the 12 that will someday sit on the thrones and judge the nations. There's a special calling for those guys, right? They're significant. They're important. But it's not just about those 12 or 13, if you want to throw Paul in as the apostle to the Gentiles. It's not just about those 13 apostles, it's about God desiring to use all of his people to accomplish his rescue mission. All of his people. Children, adults, elders, male, female, <laughs> soldiers, civilian. Is that like slave and free? Soldiers, civilian. Right? Draw whatever applications apply there. Right? It's not about social status. It's not about, it's not about gender. It's, it's about... God using all of his people to accomplish his mission. So, what about you? God desires to use all of his people to accomplish his rescue mission. So, if this book were the book of Acts, the Acts of Neil, what if it was the Acts of Ben or the Acts of Jamie? If the title was the activity of Mike, as empowered by the Holy Spirit to build the kingdom of God, what would the story look like? Because that's what this is about. It's about the Spirit of God empowering you and me to build his kingdom. It's about God wanting to use you and me. So what is your story going to look like? What activity has God called you to? As you're doing life, how are you building into the kingdom of God? Next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at some very practical ways that we can be doing that as we look at a little bit of the end of chapter 2 together on how they practiced kingdom living together. But I want you to think about this. Have you ever said, God can't use me? Have you ever believed that lie? Have you ever thought, well, God only does cool stuff and amazing things through other people? God wants to use you to accomplish his mission on this earth. And the only thing that will keep that from happening is our own unwillingness to surrender to his spirit and to allow him to work. Our own fear, our own pride, whatever it is. But God wants to use you and me to accomplish his work in this world. And as we study the book of Acts together, it's my prayer that you'll be challenged in that way. To see it as not a, a guide on do these 10 things and watch what God does, but a guide in understanding how when you surrender to God's spirit, he can do awesome things even through you and me today because we're his church. We're his extension today, even in our world. Um, that's why he's kept us here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your work. Thank you that you choose to use uh, ordinary, uh, broken people like us. Thank you that um, your kingdom is greater than any one of us that we have something bigger to live for than just ourselves. 
Thank you for the word of God, for your word, for the stories that we get to read about the way that you work through your people to accomplish your mission. Father, we've, um, I think, been deceived in so many ways. We've believed that people don't want to hear the message of Jesus, and that's why people aren't coming to you. We believe that God only uses a few people who have certain trainings or abilities, and so more people don't serve and, and share. We believe that we're too busy with other things to be able to focus on you. So, Father, take away the excuses. Help us to be faithful to live for your kingdom so that we can also be about the kingdom of God and the work. Help us to be surrendered to you, to your spirit, to be passionate about our relationship with our Savior, and to be passionate about sharing him with the world around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We, uh, we have communion that we're going to be celebrating together. And communion was kind of an intro to kingdom living, I think, for a lot of the disciples. Um, it's like, let me, let me remind you what it means to live together. It means sacrifice. Um, it means giving up that which um, you think you need and think you own and surrendering it for the benefit of others. Um, David asked a couple of the men to come up and to help serve. So those guys would come up now. We celebrate this as a church body. It's a celebration for all of the church. Um, and that is, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're invited to participate. You don't need to be a member of North Country Fellowship to participate. Um, you just need to be a member of God's family by accepting the work of Jesus um, and receiving forgiveness from him. Uh, and what we do is we pass out the bread to everybody, and when everybody has that is participating has a piece, we'll all partake of it together. We'll do the same with the cup. Um, if you're not comfortable sharing at this time, just pass the plate past you, um, and that's totally acceptable as well. There's nothing magical about the bread or the cup. It's what it symbolizes. Uh, the bread symbolizes the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And the, just a second, just a second we'll, we'll pray first. Um, and then the cup symbolizes the blood that was spilled for us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul says, for I, I pass on to you that which I received from the Lord, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup and he shared that cup with his disciples. And he said, this cup symbolizes a new covenant, a new relationship, a new, a new marriage, if you will, that's been paid for and sealed in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. And he's, for often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We have what we have because of the sacrifice of the body and of the blood of, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that gives us fellowship with him and fellowship with each other. So let's return thanks for the bread and then we'll pass that out. Father, we thank you so much for your sacrifice, for giving your son to die for us. We thank you for um, Jesus being willing to allow his physical body to be totally broken in our place, for our sins that he took those stripes, for our uh, faults that he took that beating. Father, help us to appreciate what's been done for us through our Savior's sacrifice of his body. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.